This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson. Managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Ben Dowsett, usually the co-host of the show, is enjoying a happy Thanksgiving dinner with his girlfriend's parents tonight. Uh, <laughs> we didn't want to get him in trouble with his girlfriend, so he is he's out for the count for tonight. But that means that I, I got to be in charge of the whole show, which means I, I brought in a bunch of my favorite guests talking about some of the, the most interesting topics that are happening in the world of the Utah Jazz and the NBA right now. It's been a really fascinating year in the NBA so far. Uh, Again, happy Thanksgiving season to you. I'm excited for this weekend coming up. Uh, So just kind of a quick rundown of the guests we've got on the show today. Clark Schmutz uh, is joining us first. He's at Clark Pojo on SLC Dunk. Then we've got an entire LOL Lakers segment on the show today. Usually we limit it to a couple of minutes, but the Lakers are in such turmoil that we felt that we had to talk to talk about it for a whole uh, 10, 12 minute segment. Uh, so that'll be at 7.30. 7.45, we'll be talking to Aaron Hefner about the Jazz's bench. What's going on wrong there that's, that's limiting the Jazz's uh, second quarter output. They've been really bad in second quarters this year. We'll be t- previewing tonight's Jazz Clippers game. That's at 8.30 Mountain Time. We'll be previewing it at 8 o'clock with Clippers blog writer Brandon Tomyoy. Um, we'll have him on. Uh, trying to figure out why the Clippers have beaten the Jazz 13 times in a row this year. Uh, or Sorry, not this year, but just in, in general, in the last, I guess, three or four years now out of these Western Conference matchups. And as always, we'll go around the NBA and wrap it up with some fun at the end. But let's go ahead and get started with Clark. Uh, Clark, are you there? I'm here, Andy. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. You you as well. So Clark and I, just a little bit of history for you guys who don't know out there, used to host what we called the Clark and Andy Show, which was this podcast on SLC Dunk, which is the SB Nation affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Um, I it was surprisingly popular to me and was like my first like podcast experience and ever since then like I I just love having Clark on the show because it he's a smart guy who knows what you know everything there is to know about you the Utah Jazz and thinks really intelligently about kind of the long-term and medium-term picture about the Jazz so anyway I hope that's not completely inaccurate Clark that's mostly inaccurate but I think we'll have a discussion anyway um so I want to know, first of all, uh, kind of your big picture thoughts on the six and seven Utah Jazz. Are, are you disappointed in what you've seen so far? Are you, you know, uh, are you being realistic and saying, you know, this is probably what we expected with a hard schedule? What, what's your mind frame right now? Um, I think the record is probably close to what we could expect, especially with some of the injuries that came at bad times. Uh, I think we could probably, you know, argue we could be a game or, or two better, but Overall, I think the record is probably where it should be. I do think there are some concerns long-term with just kind of the um, maybe the defensive slippage and kind of the cohesiveness of the offense and the defense in general that, that pose uh, maybe some long-term problems down the road. In general, like I, I try to be patient. I think there's a lot of the season to be played. I think the Jazz are still on track to be 
a uh, playoff team, um, but I would like to see, you know, just a little bit better play and maybe some more cohesiveness from some of the units. In, in particular, what I mean, what of, of these units, what are you looking for? I mean, is it the starting lineup that's not working? Is it bench units? I mean, what, what are you looking at? I like the starting lineup. I like the call. I'm still defensive of uh, Raul, Raul Neto and uh, Rodney Hood starting, and I think that was the right call. And the numbers prove that the starting lineup has been fairly effective. Um, the bench has been a little disappointing. I thought, I mean, it's, you know, it's the usual suspects that people have been talking about. Trevor Booker's just played poorly. Um, you know, Trey Burke's played really well. Alec Burks has been, I think, up and down. Uh, but our bench, our bench just hasn't been able to carry us. We haven't found that kind of second unit magic. When you look at the last 30, 35 games, obviously we weren't going to be able to recreate all of that, but I thought that there might, uh, you know, we might be able to recreate some of that magic from the lesser role players like Joe Ingles, even uh, Elijah Millsap. Um, I think Jeff Withy has shown some good spots. I, I think it's been disappointing. The bench play has been disappointing, and, um, you know, to a degree, and I think you're going to talk about that a lot. It's just, I don't know, just something, it's it's hard to put your finger on it, but just something isn't quite right, and that might yeah. just need some time, but um, we definitely need some shooting. Our shooting is just, I think one shooter could change the outlook of this team pretty quickly. I, I just think that's what we're missing consistently from night to night, but I harp on that all the time. No, I, I think that's true. I've been a little bit surprised with the defense so far this season and how inconsistent it's been. I mean, we, we have seen flashes of, you know, this the the fantastic kind of Utah Jazz defense that Quinn Snyder wants to have every single night. You know, this this 90 points per 100 possessions kind of drag it out, block everything at the rim, uh, prevent three-point shots, and, and, you know, be a real defensive force. Some nights, and then other nights, we haven't seen that at all. I mean, Oklahoma City uh, was was a pretty bad defensive performance. Cleveland, and I mean, those are good offensive teams, don't get me wrong, but we've also seen it against some weird, not that good offensive teams, you know, like the Portland Trailblazers, for example. Um, I, for me, I just, I think they're, and maybe that's just the youth of the team that's leading them to be so inconsistent, but, and part of it's the NBA is that every team is inconsistent, right? But you'd still like to see more game-to-game success there than kind of these outliers where you have all these games uh, where the Jazz just don't play good defense. Yeah, it it is hard because it was really their calling card the first maybe 10 games of the season, and I would say they maybe even coasted defensively for periods of the game, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter they would really bring it together and have long stretches of dominance or, you know, they'd have periods of it. So they can certainly do it. And when you look at the individual players, I think they're giving good effort and actually doing pretty good things defensively, but they are dismissing that kind of chemistry and defensive cohesiveness that they had last year that was just really uh, historic. That probably is unfair to expect to be um, recreated, but uh, would be, you know, it's, it's not too much, I think, to expect it a little bit better effort, a little bit togetherness on the, the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, right now they're eighth defensively, and I guess I expected something top five is, is what I'm saying. Oh, you know, I think if they aren't a top five defense, I think that'll be a huge, um, a huge disappointment in general. Uh, I do think that it might help to. They've played some of the best offenses. They've kind of had a brutal schedule. I think, you know, that's not going to be an excuse for very much longer. But I right. think it's worth uh, looking at for uh, a couple more weeks. And that's totally true. You know, you've got what is it, fifteen home games in December? You know, that's that's going to make a lot of things look. 
better. Or, you know, and if it doesn't, then you've got significant problems on your roster that you need to fix. In fact, one of these that we, we keep talking about, and, and we, we talk about this all the time in our Twitter DMs and, and texts and whatever else, is, is the play of Alec Burks and how he's fit into this offensive and defensive system so far of Quinn Snyder. Uh, just a stat to throw out for you that Alec Burks is one of the only, I believe the only player on the team who, when he's on the floor, makes both the offense and defense slightly worse in terms of an offensive and defensive rating. Now it's, it's not, Trey Lyles are the only Trey only Lyles. Okay, sure. But it, be fair. Th- Trey Lyles, though, you expect that from Alec Burks at this point, you, you probably want more from at least on the offensive end you know that's that's the idea is you, know, you get something offensively from Alec Burks so far they haven't you know uh, what do you make of Alec Burks as a player what I make of Alec Burks so um I was kind of excited about drafting him I was a little skeptical but I've always felt from the day the first day I saw him and watched tape of him at Colorado this guy is an incredible athlete with some incredible skills he can score the basket he can beat people off the dribble he can even make good passes good rebounder has the athleticism to defend, but I don't know if he ever learned to play basketball growing up. And, um, you know, I think he may have been part of the group of players that is just so athletic and so much better that they just use that to get by. And then all of a sudden they get to the NBA and everyone is as athletic as they are, um, and they have to actually learn, you know, schemes and how to play correct basketball. And I think it's been a struggle for me as a fan to watch him and I think a struggle for Alec Burks, he just has a hard time playing team defense and being in the right spots and playing smart basketball. And, um, you know, for a while that's, that's you know, just like you said with Trey Lyles, you expect that. And he hasn't had a lot of time, but he's the same age as Derek Favors, and he's in, what, his fifth year now, mm. um, you know, and he's made some improvements for sure. It'd be unfair to say he hasn't, but he almost looks like a second-year player, third-year third year player out there with some of the same mistakes he makes from time to time. With that being said, he's had a few games where he's just looked phenomenal, and so he always gives you that little spark that maybe, you know, if he could put this together and play a little more consistently like this, he could be a pretty special player. See, and that, that's the thing that gets me is that it, you're right that he does he does look like a second- or third-year player a lot of times where he's not making the rotations all the time. So, you know, he, he's... Quinn Snyder talks about how important it is to be connected as a five-man unit defensively, especially with how the Jazz defense with kind of the play defense with this strong side heavy approach that was kind of innovated by Tom Thibodeau and the Chicago Bulls and and the, and the Boston Celtics before that. Uh, you know, the Jazz are kind of doing a similar thing, but if not everyone's on the string, it becomes really easy to rotate out of those defenses and and get open shots for for the opposing offense. I've seen some of those mistakes from. From Alec Burks. That being said, I saw much more of those mistakes from his teammates last season. At the beginning of last season, when Quinn Snyder was just implementing a season, uh, sorry, his system, and then even more of those mistakes when Ty Corbin was coaching and and everyone on the floor was always making those mistakes, right? So, like, I I almost wonder if it's part of this is just because. Alec Burks was out for the second half of last year when the Jazz as a team made such a big defensive leap. Now he just hasn't had that same time that everybody else has to kind of learn what it is that Quinn Snyder is teaching. Yeah, and and I think that's really the the fair point and what a smart NBA fan and a Jazz fan would would conclude is that this probably needs some time to he needs some time to prove himself even though he is a little bit, you know, he's getting to the the time where he needs to establish himself as a player. Like, it is fair to see how he does this season, to see if he can make those improvements. 
Um, and I think he was a real victim of some of the Ty Corbin errors, not just from a playing time perspective, but probably he needs extra coaching. Alec Burks isn't the type of player who just can go out there and seize it easily. He needs the extra coaching and the extra time and the extra – he needs some more repetition. So I think that's fair to expect that from him. Um, you know, so with that being said, we should probably think of some fake trades for him. No, <laughs> no that's that's actually exactly what we're going to do next. I mean, you've again, you've been DMing me these crazy trade ideas that now I'm going to hold you to on live radio so that everyone knows that they're yours and, and can blame you for them. Um, oh. And then blame me for giving you an audience, <laughs> a public audience for your, your crazed ideas. Um, I, I only think one of your ideas is truly crazy, which is Alec Burks for O.J. Mayo. I don't. I was just sending you that as almost a joke. Okay. I uh, There's no make that trade. But you, I, you did send it to me. <laughs> I did, and that's why it was part of the crazy trade idea. I wanted you to talk on that. Okay. Well, I, I have in my let notes, just, by the way, that I have in my I notes think, next to that trade, ahead. you out of your bleep, bleep, bleep mind for that trade. Um I yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm anti trading Alec Burks for OJ Mayo on the record. Okay, so let me just with with that before we talk about this, let me just make one quick point though. Okay, the thing about ahead. Alec Burks is that when we signed him to that uh, four year, forty four million dollar deal, it looked like a great deal, especially with the new TV money. But I think we also maybe thought he would be the starting two guard. In fact, the day after he signed that extension, Dennis Lindsay said as much. But now I feel like the expectations for Alec Burks is that he may never be a starter for this team in the next five years. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that he would have to take a leap. But certainly, if you look at his kind of players on other NBA rosters, for example, you probably say that those guys are better six men than they are starting two guards. Correct. And I think those guys, if he's going to be a six-man type of guy, which I think has kind of become his role and what we envision him as, maybe even one of the better six men in the NBA, I think those guys are fairly replaceable. Let me just tell you a few names of guys in the league that are, I think, playing better ball than Alec Burks and would be an upgrade over him. Guys like Will Barton, Omri Caspi, C.J. Miles, P.J. Tucker, Jeremy Lamb, you know, Jared Dudley, even these guys that are, you know, all of those guys are being paid about 3 or $4 million a year. And I think that's kind of the idea. Now, my favorite trade... And all of those be, guys, by the way, are ahead. shooters, right? Like, those, that's, that's a big issue that you have that you want to add into the Jazz's offense that Alec Burks doesn't really provide because he doesn't take outside shots at a high enough quantity. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When, when we talk online about adding shooting, like, if I ever mention that, we should add this shooter. The next question is, well, whose minutes is he taking? And I think that's a fair point. Like, there aren't a lot of minutes available... So maybe you have to kind of just pick someone who's fine playing 10 or 15 minutes a night. But in some ways, if you replaced Alec Burks, not that necessarily he's a bad player, but that he just he's actually a decent three-point shooter, but he doesn't take those shots. If you replaced him with a high-volume three-point shooter, uh, even if that person's skill set wasn't necessarily better than Alec Burks, I actually think the Jazz would immediately improve. Okay. So with that in mind, uh, you've got some ideas. So my very favorite trade would be Alec Burks for Jared Dudley and Martel Webster of the Washington Wizards. Okay. Now, ironically, the Jazz may have been able to just pick up Jared Dudley up in this offseason for free, but Jared Dudley is the type of guy who just helps you win games. In fact, so if you had a said to most fans, is Zaza Pachulia a big upgrade for the Dallas Mavericks, I think most people would have said, no, they're crazy not to get DeAndre Jordan. Well, we're seeing very early in the season that Zaza Pachulia might actually be a better fit 
uh, for the Dallas Mavericks than DeAndre Jordan even would have been. Um, and Jared Dudley is that type of player, a guy who can play the two, the three, or the four, and just wherever he goes, he wins. And wherever he leaves, they immediately have a downgrade. Um, the Clippers sure wish they had him, and I think the Bucks probably still wish they had him too. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, he's he's playing, let's see, what is it, 20 minutes a game, 22 minutes a game, but he's shooting 42% from three on 10 points per game. I mean, that that's kind of what you want from your from your role player, you know, starting shooting guard or small forward. Heck, Jared Dudley can even play four in some small ball lineups. Yeah, he is. He's closing games for the Washington Wizards right now. Um, and, you know, Alec Burks may still have some value to them. I look at teams, when I look to, Look at teams that may be interested in Alec Burks. I'm looking at teams that are maybe struggling, like to use a little jolt of what they believe is some off the bench offense that maybe maybe fits a little better. And I think Washington Wizards fit that bill. Okay. Uh, and then Martel Webster is just there to make the salaries work, or yeah, he's a T exactly. He makes the salaries work. I don't think Washington's in a position to take on more money. Uh, Martel Webster is actually out for the year after having hip surgery, and next year's four million dollars is a team option. So it'd just literally be salary filler. Okay. Um, yeah, no, you're right. And I, th- I I, think you're right that the Jazz could have gotten Jared Dudley for very cheaply this offseason and kind of chose not to, kind of chose to give more minutes to Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, and uh, I guess Gordon Hayward, as well as maybe Joe Ingles, Chris Johnson, Elijah Millsap, somewhere in there. But really, the first three guys I mentioned... So now it'd be it would be definitely a, a a shift to go trade then Alec Burks for Jared Dudley rather than just again having at, being able to add him essentially for free what the Wizards got him for this off season. Uh, what else do you got? Uh, my other favorite one is for another guy who is actually similar to Alec Burks in kind of production and overall points per possession usage, but just does it in way different ways, and that's uh, Eric Gordon for the New Orleans uh, Hornets. Who would uh, now? I don't know if the Hornets are ready to move on from him, but if they continue to play poorly, they'd be able to save a lot of money, get Alec Burks on a long-term, um, friendly cap-friendly deal. Um, even though he is fairly similar to Tyreek Evans, um, Eric Gordon has 15 million dollars on his contract this year and would become a free agent. It might give the Jazz an opportunity to see what their offense would do with a high-volume shooter. Eric Gordon takes. Uh, I think eight three-pointers a game right now. He gets most of his looks from three, and he shoots only 36%, but he's a career 39% three-point shooter, I believe. It would give the Jazz an opportunity to see what their offense would be like with a high-volume, high-quality shooter and also you know, give them a, a leg up if they decided they wanted to re-sign him this offseason. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, I would point out that, yeah, he's shooting eight point. He's shooting eight three-pointers per game this season. Last year, though, when he had his, you know, his best shooting year of his career, 44.8%, he only shot 5.6. So he's taking more, but he's, he's missing more. I wonder if he's taking more difficult three-point shots, which explains kind of that percentage difference. Um, I also wonder if he's just hopeless defensively. Um, he's not terrible, I, I guess I should say, but... He hasn't ever been on a good defensive team, I don't think. No, he hasn't. Um, and, and, you know, I was just looking at some of the numbers. You know, I, I would say that he's probably a defensive negative, but in the last few years, it was funny, after his third or fourth year, he made a big jump to where he was just a small defensive negative, according to advanced metrics and um, advanced plus-minus numbers, things like that, team defense when he was on the floor. I don't think he's a great defender, and he's kind of small for a shooting guard. He's only six four. But I think he plays the right way. I've watched a, a lot of film of him, and he is a little small. It would cause some problems. But, uh, you know, he wouldn't, 
he doesn't make the rookie and second-year mistakes that I think Alec Burks does. And okay. Alec Burks has not been a plus defender, and I'm starting that's to question true. whether he ever will be. No, and I, I think that's that's fair. And, I you know, I, again, that's where I would probably personally give him more time, a couple extra months, maybe until the trade deadline. Heck, maybe throughout this year to see to give him time to learn Quinn Snyder's system. Um, I think totally reasonable. Cool. Uh, uh, yeah, to me, I mean, uh, if I, but if I am going to make that move to to move Alec Gordon or sorry Alec Burks and, and get someone like an Eric Gordon, someone who can shoot on the offensive end, I also want him to be a not a surefire defensive superstar, but at least someone you know you can depend on. You know, I, I think you can depend on Jared Dudley at that end. I, I don't know that you can depend on Eric Gordon at that end. Yeah, I wonder how many people would be a little bit better with, you know, the defensive, other defensive players we have, but it's yeah. it's definitely a valid concern. All right, I like this one. This one doesn't involve Alec Burks that you have, but this um, Taj Gibson idea that, that you sent me. Yeah, so the Chicago Bulls, I think, are the team the Jazz really need to be talking to. The other, I, I think the big upgrade the Jazz need to make are at the wing spot, either the third or fourth wing, and then obviously – the third big Trevor Booker just hasn't worked out. It's an easy spot to upgrade. He has just $5 million left on this year. And I think the Bulls are the team to look at just because they have always been kind of historically cheap. And they have, I think last time I checked 13 power forwards on their roster. (laughs) And so I I think they'd be the type of team that the jazz could maybe uh, not swindle, but just, just might be right for a good deal. Todd Gibson's only playing, I think 20 minutes off the bench. He's historically, you know, only an okay offensive player takes a lot of jump shots, but is really good at, at hustling and getting offensive rebounds, but an elite defensive uh, third big and really an elite uh, third big in general the last few years. He has had a bit of a fall fall off, but I don't know how much of that is from – he is a little older, he's 30 years old, but also, you know, when you get replaced by Miritich and uh, Pau Gasol, you know, it's hard to expect him to be super pumped. I, I think he'd be a good player, and my idea would be to trade him for – expiring contracts to give um, the Chicago Bulls um, some some salary relief. So something like Chris Johnson and Eli Millsap for Taj Gibson, and then would probably have to give them, you know, either a top 10 protected uh, pick of ours or maybe the OKC pick or the, the Golden State pick. I think that would be the kind of move that would be uh, worth it for one of those late first-round picks. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Bulls would be excited to acquire that first-round pick for Taj Gibson, and I'm not sure that a, a lot of teams would give that to him. Um, I, I, I think there is something there, though, with, you know, you're right that the Bulls have, like, infinite power forwards, um, and, and Taj Gibson has, has kind of slid down the ranks there as they have acquired Miritich and Pau Gasol and, every, and everyone else they have. Uh, but is still a contributing player that would make the Jazz's bench a lot better, especially on the defensive end where right now, you know, Trevor Booker and, and Trey Lyles are not ideal defensive players at, at all, really, I would say. Um, and, and so I, I could totally see how I, – in fact, in my mind, third big might be the biggest need that the Jazz have, at least in the short term. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, and Taj Gibson, to me, fills that hole pretty effectively. He also, you know, he can play both the four and five spots pretty easily and has in the past. So he could probably play with uh, Rudy or Derek on the second unit. And then the other nice thing is that he's due $9 million this year and he'd be locked in for $9 million more next year when we have the money to pay him. It would give us enough time to really see if that was a fit and also have him in an affordable contract. So I think I think it's a smart fit in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. 
All right. Well, I have to take a break and therefore let you go, Clark. But thank you so much for joining us and calling in and basically keep sending me your ideas. And, and send. I mean, if you want to make them public, great. That's cool, too. But DM works as well. We'll keep having you on the show. All right. No more OJ Mayo trades, and I'll start making them more public. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks again, Clark. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Take care, Andy. Will do. We got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to have Andy Bailey talking about the Los Angeles Lakers and, and really the train wreck that is the Los Angeles Lakers. We call it hashtag LOL Lakers. We have it on the show every week. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, yes, that sound means that it is time for LOL Lakers, your weekly segment of uh, what's going wrong in Lakerland this week. And this week we even have a guest for LOL Lakers segment because that's how how messed up the Lakers are right now. Uh, we've got Andy Bailey on, on the phone. Andy, are you there? I am here, Andy. Andy is the... Uh, National columnist for Bleacher Report, uh, covers Utah Jazz for Bleacher Report, and then you know writes about other things as well. So he's got both the local ties and the national connection. Uh, and that means that he gets to interact with Lakers fans and, and tell them about how bad Kobe Bryant is. It's one of the repeating topics on his timeline. I thought he was a perfect guest for this show. Would you, would you agree? I would agree. I think that's a pretty accurate assessment of my Twitter activity. Good. <laughs> so... Uh, there's so much going on right now in Lakerland. Uh, I, I, let's let's start with Kobe Bryant. Um, one for 14 last night is is shooting tremendously awfully from the field. It's not that he's been bad; he's been terrible. Uh, it, it, it's clear that this point his body is just breaking down. He doesn't have the lift. He doesn't have any quickness whatsoever. Uh, just like in years past, he's not defending well, but now he's not even scoring well. Uh, Byron Scott is playing at the three position, so he can't even do his like post-up shooting guard game. Like, uh, What do you make of Kobe Bryant right now? Well, I agree with everything that you just said. And just to kind of hammer it home, you said he's been terrible. He's he's been historically bad, and I'm sure you saw some of the stats that I posted towards the end of last night's game. He's there. There have been 39 individual seasons when a player took seven threes a game, which Kobe is doing this season, mm-hmm. and he's shooting 19 and a half percent. The previous worst uh, was like 30 or, or high 20s, uh, so he's not even close there. He also has the worst true shooting percentage of the three point era for anybody who takes 16 shots a game. So not, not only is he shooting terribly, he, he is still shooting at a very high volume. And it, it doesn't take a basketball analyst to see that it's, it's just destroying their offense. And to me, it's, it's kind of funny that we're getting sort of these mirror images of him and Peyton Manning in the same season. It's, I, I would like somebody to do a psychological study on the player – who at one point in his career had a legitimate argument to be the best in the world, and he, he just can't let it go because I think that's exactly what's happening with Kobe. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. In fact, he had a quote after last night's game that I thought was really interesting. He, about his shooting, he was asked about it and, and said, quote, I'm not really worried about it, honestly. My shooting will be better. I could have scored 80 tonight. It wouldn't have made a difference. We just have bigger problems. I could be out there averaging 35 points a game, and we'd be what, 3-11? and 11? 
We've got to figure out how to play systematically in a position that's going to keep us in ball games. So now he's calling out his teammates uh, and saying, "Look, we yeah. got to figure out how to get me open shots and, and play better. You know, play better as a team in order for it to work out." And and while what he says is true, like if he's averaged thirty five a night, the Lakers would not necessarily be a better team. But at some point, you have to look inward and say, "Hey, uh, part of the problem starts with me." And it's, it should be very obvious to anyone who's watching these games that he's not taking terrible shots because his teammates are forcing him to do that. I mean, right. there are possessions where guys kind of stand around, and, and you, can, you can point to Byron Scott for that. You can point to those young players for that. But at the same time, he's just forcing terrible jumper after terrible jumper. And even in his prime, some of these shots would be very difficult for him to hit and now they're they're borderline impossible as, as and, evidenced by his one for 14 shooting and and before you know 25 percent 35 percent of his shots were these incredibly difficult fadeaways with a hand in his face etc now it's like 75 percent 80 percent because he can't get yeah. the open other shots and i think yeah uh, that's a great point he just can't he can't create anything better than what he's getting for right. himself. And honestly, I think, and, and kind of changing subjects here a little bit, Byron Scott's the enabler here, right? And Byron, oh, for sure. He's, I mean, Haralla Bob, Bob's Vagaris called him today the worst coach in the league by far. I think most people would agree. Um, and it's, it's just a lack of both coaching talent and organizational vision to uh, to give Kobe this many minutes and this many shots. I mean, let me, again, another quote for you, Andy. It, uh, he was asked about how many shots Kobe was taking, and he said, first of all, he's had 20 years of experience in this league. We might ha- not have six other players that have 20 years in this league combined. He has that privilege, basically, to take those shots. From a coaching standpoint, I want Kobe to be Kobe, and other guys haven't run, earned that right yet. So there's no organizational-wide uh, culture of accountability here. Instead, it's the young guys have to do one thing, and Kobe Bryant gets to do another. Here, first of all, that's nonsense, as you know, uh, that quote. And he said it after every terrible game that Kobe had. Basically, like, oh, don't worry, Kobe's going to be Kobe soon. Don't, It'll be fine. Uh, my pet theory on on Byron Scott and um, maybe by extension Kobe Bryant is that Mitch Kupchak has been targeting this draft all along and hiring Byron Scott and keeping him there and letting Kobe be Kobe. Maybe this is all just a really long con to land Ben Simmons. You know, honestly, somebody else in the top three. I think you're totally right on that. Um and your your question has always been like, do Byron Scott and Kobe Bryant realize that they're being used as tanking tools? Yeah. And, and I yeah, honestly I like it's, I I kind of joke about it, but I think there is some legitimacy to it. No, I I honestly do. I mean, I know from a Jazz point of view, like that was one of the reasons that they didn't fire Ty Corbin earlier. You know, they yep. chose to keep Ty Corbin because it wasn't the best thing to do for wins that season. They knew that they wanted a better pick in that year's draft to you know, eventually take Dante Exum. And instead of getting the 10th pick in the draft, they would end up with the 5th pick in the draft, which is you know a big difference. I, I honestly yep. think Mitch Kupchak is probably doing the same sort of thing with Kobe Bryant and Byron Scott. Now, if now, I'm... Here's the, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was if, say the catch with that is, do you are you sacrificing the assets that you are you have you have right. somewhat known commodities already 
And you have to worry a little bit about the, the impact that Scott is having on them. And you have to kind of weigh, you have to kind of balance the difference between, am I ruining these young guys or, or is it that important that we get one more lottery pick before we sort of move to the next phase of this rebuild? And I think, honestly, I, I don't think it's a bad choice. I think both for the Lakers and the Jazz two seasons ago that you probably would look at their rosters and say they need at least another young star in order to be have a realistic yeah. chance of being a contender. And, and honestly, if I'm Kobe Bryant or Byron Scott, and even if I realize that I'm being used as a tool to tank, I don't know if I do anything differently than what they've been doing so far, right? Like, it's not like they've been coaching well or playing well, and they're just going out there and, and doing their best. Hopefully, you know, m- maybe Byron Scott wants another NBA job. I, I, I don't really know what they're going for, but, like, even if they do know what they're supposed to be doing, I, I don't know if I do anything differently. No, and it may not be... They may not be programmed. I mean, it, they may not be able to do anything differently. Is yeah. what I'm uh, having a hard time getting out. It's they're just being who they are. Byron Scott came to the Lakers with a terrible track record. If you look at his record without Jason Kidd or Chris Paul, it is abysmal. Which you can say that about any coach. You need stars, but he's never really shown that he's the one having a positive impact on a team. And Kobe, as great as he was five or six years ago eventually when you're in your late 30s and you you continue to try to do the things that you did when you're in your late 20s it's just not going to work right yeah just looking at byron scott's record this his coaching record this decade it's not pretty i I welcome everyone to go check it out uh it's clear that he doesn't fit in any sort of a modern nba certainly and really i'm not sure he was ever a good coach before that no i me neither like i said i i would even say that he just had the benefit of playing with point guards who were who were the coaches for the team anyway. Right. But and I mean they were they were running the team. Looking at how he's coached this decade, three and six in, in twenty ten, nineteen and sixty three in twenty eleven, twenty four twenty one and forty five, excuse me, in twenty twelve, twenty four and fifty eight in twenty thirteen, twenty one and sixty one in twenty fourteen, and then twenty and two and twelve so far this year in twenty fifteen. Yeah, there's <laughs> It's ugly. Rosters as much as you want, but at some point you have to say, "Okay, there's something up with this guy." Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts in Lakerland for me, Andy? Well, if <laughs> I imagine you don't have many Lakers fans listening, but I would just say, if there are any, that Ben Simmons is really, really good. Yeah. And he will. I think the the possibility of D'Angelo Russell, I have not given up on yet. Ben Simmons and Julius Randle is is pretty intriguing. So they could still make some noise in two or three years. Yeah, you you really could see them becoming kind of a a Minnesota Minnesota Timberwolves situation moving forward where they have really good young talent from high draft positions. Kind of depends right now. They'd be slated for that number two pick in the draft. It's kind of if that lottery is nice to them. Remember, if that pick isn't top three, it goes to Philadelphia. Yeah, that's a very good point. And that's that's another reason to believe that Mitch Kupchak might he might be keeping Kobe and Scott on the floor just to make sure that they, they avoid losing that pick. Yeah, and, and it's not like you can tell the fans that, hey, Kobe's just out there so we lose more games, so keep showing <laughs> up and watching on TV. Yeah, that's that's a tough one to sell, especially when you at the same time are paying $25 million. Yeah, no no doubt. All right, well, Andy, thank you, guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what's your Twitter handle again? I am at Andrew D. Bailey. Perfect. All right, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Lakers are just in a really weird situation. This is, I almost feel bad for doing LOL Lakers at this point, other than, you know, my childhood was ruined by the Lakers, so maybe not that bad. But uh, 
I felt like last night's loss to the Warriors was maybe rock bottom in terms of uh, the the fabled superstar Kobe Bryant just struggling uh, worse than any other NBA player has this season. No player has shot 14 shots or more and scored four points or less so far this season. Uh, it, it's been really ugly for them. And, uh, you know, you can't say that it looks like it'll become any better until they start playing their young guys, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle more, um, especially in blowouts. Like, it, it just makes sense to get those guys some experience on the floor against NBA players. Right now, Byron Scott's not playing them, even in blowouts, and, and you have to question that coaching decision. I mean, those guys need more minutes in order to develop. Anyway, that's my two cents. We're going we're gonna to take a break. On the other side, we've got Aaron Hefner from Salt City Hoops joining us. Um, Aaron's going to talk to us about a little bit about the Jazz's bench. Uh, you can make a case that the Jazz's bench is the worst bench unit in the league so far this year. We're going to be talking about that and what the Jazz could do to improve and really why Dennis Lindsay chose to keep the bench kind of the same as it was last season during last season's run. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Before we get on with Aaron Hefner, I want to uh, catch up on a couple of things first. Uh, first of all, just kind of bringing you up to date with the NBA scoreboard right now. A couple of interesting games in late in the, uh, I guess, late in the game. First of all, Philadelphia has a chance to beat the Boston Celtics and pick up their first win tonight, which would be pretty fun. All year, the, the question is, who will, what will happen first? Will the Sixers win or will the Warriors lose? Right now, it's 82-80 Celtics with 38 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, beyond that, we've got Cleveland-Toronto close. Toronto's winning that game by 6, 94-88 with three minutes left in the fourth Memphis-Houston right now on NBA TV, 82-77. Memphis leads that one. Sacramento and Milwaukee are in a shootout right now. That game had, I believe, like 70 combined points in the first quarter. It's 142 points combined in the uh, second half. 98-92 right now. Sacramento leads it. Uh, And then Brooklyn-OKC is surprisingly close as well. 83-81, the Thunder lead over the Nets. 9.48 left to go in the fourth. All right. Uh, oh, and then I've got a, a couple of tweets to read. One uh, Utah Finns fan at Utah Finns fan says, I don't think the Jazz need to do any trades. I think the front office would agree with you, by the way. I, I think right now, especially, they would definitely wait until the de- December 15th date when teams can trade free agents that they signed this offseason. More or less, no big trades are happening until then. Uh, and, and then second of all, I think they just want to see more out of this Jazz unit, especially when they have kind of circumstances coming up more in their favor. So when they are at home more often in December, when they have a little bit of an easier schedule, you can really make a case that with the Jazz's home court advantage, which has been good throughout the years, if not in the last season and a half or so, that really you, you should wait for at least a couple of months and, and wait for this away home game and balance to, to really balance out before you make any sort of conclusions about the roster, let alone today on November 25th. Uh, I also like this tweet from Amar. As a fan, I think if the Jazz traded for Steph Curry, it could be good. You guys are the experts. Make it happen. Well, thanks, Amar. We will try our hardest to trade for Steph Curry, but it's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I don't think the Warriors would trade him for anything in the world. All right, but let's go ahead and talk to Aaron. Uh, again, Aaron is one of our Salt City Hoops writers on saltcityhoops.com. It is the ESPN True Hoop affiliate of the Utah Jazz. Aaron, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Hey, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. 
Okay, so I wanted to talk with you a little bit about the Jazz's bench. Uh, and this is something that I've noticed both of us tweeting a lot about during this year, um, and maybe more so in the last couple of games, as the struggles have become more and more real, it feels like. Uh, you know, at, at the beginning of the year, we all kind of saw this quick fix of of playing Jeff Withy more minutes in, instead of Trey Lyles. A- and then Quinn Snyder, by and large, did that. Trey Lyles' minutes have decreased significantly in the last couple of weeks. Jeff Withy, on the other hand, has played more minutes, but the, the bench units are still struggling, especially, and I think it shows in that second quarter, uh, in the game against Oklahoma City, the second quarter was really, really bad for the Jazz. That's, that's kind of when the Thunder went on their run that, that broke the game wide open. The couple of issues on the bench so far this year. First of all is Trevor Booker. 29.2% shooting from the field. He's rebounding decently. His way down, you know, last year he was actually a pretty good post player, post passer. This year, none of that at all. Uh, and blocking, steals are down. It's it's ugly. He's not shooting the ball from outside like he used to. Uh, what do you make of Trevor Booker's struggles so far? Man, so Trevor Booker is obviously struggling a lot more this year than last year. But but even last year, I just did not feel he was a, he was a real fit for this team. So hmm. Trevor Bur- uh, Booker, before we go on, it's his birthday today, so I don't want to. <laughs> that is true. Much. That is rough. <laughs> We're just um, here but, attacking the guy on his birthday. Poor I, Trevor yeah, Booker. No, I just wanted to make sure. Happy birthday, Trevor Booker! But um, you know, as fans, we often point to Trevor Booker, Booker's uh, strength and we say, "Well, he's a hustler." But I think we often get confused at what's what's hustle and what's defense and. In this case, I don't think hustle equates to defense. Mm. And so even that, even kind of that strength that you're, you're visibly noticing during the game, it's, I actually don't think it's helping. You see a higher, higher increase in foul rates and turnovers. And, I mean, goaltending, he's getting, I, I swear, he's goaltending at least once a game. Um, and so, so I, I don't think Trevor Booker is, is a real fit. And it's kind of frustrating. I think we're going to talk about this a little later, but, it's a bit frustrating because you look at all of the power forwards or centers that we could have signed in the off season, and you really start to wonder why did we why did we stick with Booker when we could have had Costa Cufos for just three million more a year, or Brandon Wright for one million more a year, or uh, I mean Jason Smith even like he's not a good player, but he's at least shooting the ball well, and so uh, it, it is a bit it makes you makes you question why did we make that decision uh, to just completely stand pat this in, this this summer yeah I mean Jason Smith I'll push back on you because I I'm with you I just don't think he's a good player and you know if you if you look at how Trevor Booker and Jason Smith have done over their career I, I think I'll probably take Trevor Booker but you look at uh, the other two guys you mentioned Brandon Wright and Costa Kufis and, and those guys might be better fits and you know it, it with how much cap space the Jazz had it didn't have to be one or the other either you know you could you could probably have both of yeah. those guys on your roster as well um, yeah. You know, let's talk about that a little bit. What, why the Dennis Lindsay did make this decision that he was going to go with kind of these young and experienced guys to add to the bench this year and, and Howell Neto and Tibor Pleiss. And, and it hasn't worked out so far. Uh, I, and it sounds to me like you're arguing that it, it, they definitely should have made a move this offseason to, to strengthen the bench to try to get this team into the playoffs. Definitely. And this isn't just uh, me in panic mode 12 games in, that we're not above 500. I'm not concerned with, with our record, you know, uh, uh, right now. With As you've mentioned, the, the home away imbalance, it's, it's going to correct itself. Um, but 
even during the summer I was arguing there's there are players that we could have signed and should be signing that are getting picked up for reasonable offers. I mean, Jonas Drebko, right, or uh, Ajinka or Kyle O'Quinn. There were there were a lot of players um, that would have brought skill and, and, and added depth, and I would argue were very little risk. So even if, let's say, you sign a Kyle O'Quinn for five mil a year, come December, if he's not working out, you can trade him and you can get something for him. And at this point, he's on a good contract that's tradable where come this offseason, it's going to be, contracts are going to be even more ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would argue that Dennis Lindsay took, it, it made some decisions that I would question. Um, he's smarter than I am, so I hope it plays out right. But right now, um, and, and this summer, I, I don't know if I agree with that strategy. So I, I don't have that much time to, to get into this, but I, I would, I guess, here's how the front office would respond to that complaint. First of all, they are looking so long-term that, quite frankly, the front office is not concerned whether or not the team makes the playoffs this season. And I think we kind of heard that on Media Day when they were asked about it and, and wouldn't con- kind of commit to the playoffs as a goal like the players would. You know, they're looking so long-term that they want kind of these young players like a Tibor Pleiss, like a Raul Neto, to come into the NBA and, and kind of develop with the rest of the Jazz's youth and, and, you know, maybe be a part of, I guess, the next great Jazz team. Um, and, and that being said... You know, Costa Kufis and, and Kylo Quinn and Jonas Jerebko and, and the guys you mentioned are not so old that they couldn't also be part of the next great jazz exactly, team. Exactly. Uh, and, and I think that's, you know, that's something to really consider. I would also say that the front office would say, look, you know, the cap space that we didn't sign, spend this summer is still available. You know, they can still make those signings next season if, if again, to be part of the next contending jazz roster they're kind of saving it and and rolling it over and letting them see you know what it is that the jazz need for next year in in the meantime yeah it sucks it's it's leading to losses that the jazz wouldn't otherwise have but maybe in the long term it gives them more flexibility to make the right decisions that again that's just me kind of telling you what they would tell me right and what i might say to that is this coming summer every team's going to be able to make some signs true right this, this last summer, we were in more of a position to take advantage of that cap space, and this coming summer, everyone will. So uh, I think we missed out on some favorable contracts that could have been signed and then moved if they weren't a good fit. But Dennis Lindsay kind of went all in, you know, thinking that all of these players will develop. And, and I think uh, it, I, it's, it's a little bit of a fantasy. I mean, not every player is going to pan out. And, and so we'll see what he does come this, 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 uh, this trade deadline um, in February, but uh, I think there's definitely uh, a good argument to make that some deals need to be done. Yeah. It, it's an, Anyway, it's a conversation that we'll be having for the months to come, certainly at least up until the trade deadline. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what's your Twitter handle again? A Heffy, at A Heffy. Perfect. All right. We'll follow you there. Uh, we got to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got Brandon Tomyoy from the Clippers blog, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Los Angeles Clippers. He's going to be joining us to preview the Jazz game tonight. That starts at 8.30. We'll be talking about the Clippers game, you know, what uh, what to look forward to in tonight's game, as well as some interesting positional battles. For example, Rudy Gobert versus DeAndre Jordan is going to be one to watch tonight. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. 
Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. So next up, we've got Brandon Tomyoy. He's a contributing writer to the Clipper blog. Um, the, The name of the blog is just Clipper blog. They are the ESPN troop affiliate for the Los Angeles Clippers, kind of the, the Salt City Hoops of L.A. land. And uh, so we've got brought them on to talk about the upcoming Jazz Clippers matchup. That's at 8.30. Now, uh, the Clippers have actually won 13 meetings in a row between the Jazz and the Clippers. Uh, that's, you know, three and a half, four seasons of, of futility against, uh, admittedly, what has been a good Clippers team and for the last three seasons a bad jazz team but you know still that's that's remarkable in fact that's the second longest active winning streak by any two teams in the league number one i believe is hawks and the kings uh who the hawks have beaten the kings 15 straight times that's a that's a crazy streak as well uh we're, we're trying to get brandon tamioy on the phone uh haven't been able to connect to him yet but that's that's coming up next I, i'm kind of interested to see how the jazz do tonight i mean this is probably the toughest part of their schedule um, at least so far this season, just having these great teams coming in. You've got Golden State coming in Monday. Uh, that will probably be eighteen and zero. I'm really excited for that game and and uh, what what to expect there. You probably do have a, te- a team that the Jazz should beat coming in Saturday, the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, looking forward to that one. I, I, I guess here's what I've got. I, I I'm curious. About a couple things. I actually went on Clipper blog later to, uh, earlier today to write about how Rudy Gobert compares to DeAndre Jordan. That's an interesting question because they're actually kind of similar players in different styles, I guess. You know, they're both rim protectors, yes. They're both fantastic rebounders. But uh, I, you can make a case that Rudy Gobert is a better player despite definitely more attention being on DeAndre Jordan. Uh, for example, Rudy Gobert allows far fewer points at the rim. Far fewer. He's actually at 9.5 compared to 5.6 for DeAndre Jordan per game. These, by the way, are uh, Nylon Calculus's basketball stats. Again, NylonCalculus.com. They're actually a fan-sided hardwood paroxysm-affiliated blog dedicated to advanced an- analytics in the NBA. Uh that's an interesting stat for me. I just I I think that kind of overweighs the other parts of of the two comparisons. I I think it's fair to say that DeAndre Jordan is a better offensive player than Rudy Gobert is at this point in his career. But not by that much. First of all, DeAndre Jordan's shooting 70% from the field, so that's that's a little bit incredible. But he's actually only scoring a couple more points per game than DeAndre Jordan, or sorry, than Rudy Gobert is. By the way, have we been able to reach Brandon at all? No? Okay. We're, we're working on it. Um, let me go ahead and send him a quick message, by the way. By the way, while you're doing that, there was yeah. uh, an interesting tweet today from, I'm not sure if you covered this already or not, but from ESPN Stats and Info, are the longest active winning streaks of a team versus another team and the Clippers were against the Jazz with the second longest. I believe it was 11 games? It was 13, actually. 13 yeah, games. I, we just mentioned that. Um, 
The, and number one was the Hawks versus the Kings at yeah. 15 games. That it seems like a random matchup to have a long streak like that. But. Right. You, you would think that the Jazz are a, a better team. I mean, first of all, the Hawks and the Kings, that's two different conferences, right? That are like, that's eight years of NBA futility. And the Hawks haven't been particularly good until, you know, the past couple of years. But for a long time, they were terrible, just like the Kings were. But an interesting streak, nonetheless. So tonight it's it's going to be a tougher one with the Jazz and the and the Clippers. Obviously, the Clippers have had the Jazz number the past several years, but uh, the Jazz, if they keep up that defensive effort, they can be in any game really. They're they're pretty average offensively, um, but if they can stifle the Clippers' offense, you know it might be a might be a tricky game tonight for the Clippers. Yeah, here's another stat for you. Um, currently, the Clippers are. Oh, we do have a new number, by the way, for Brandon. I'll forward it to you. <laughs> Sorry, this is this is impromptu radioing. Yeah, we got a we got a voicemail for a law office. Like, oh, well, that's, that's I could have left. Enough. We could have left an interesting voicemail. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> this is an opportunity. If you should have let me know, John, we're trying to leave joke voicemails on people's phones. Hey, this is a radio station calling you. So, um, good luck with that. Um. <laughs> the other interesting stat that I, I tweeted out today on this Jazz Clippers matchup is they're actually surprisingly similar teams. And whoever wins this game, uh, if the Jazz win this game, sorry, the Jazz will actually take over the Clippers spot in the Western Conference standings. They'll actually jump them over to the, the sixth seed. Right now, the Clippers are the sixth best offensive team and the 22nd best defensive team in the league. Meanwhile, the uh, the Jazz are the eighth best defensive team and twenty second best offensive team. So they're actually kind of polar opposites in that way. Um, I, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, certainly the Clippers are favored. They're at home. Can the Jazz finally figure out how to defend Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, etc.? Trying to get Brandon on the line uh, from Clipper Blog. Well, I've got a second. Let's go ahead and talk. Oh, I've got, okay, one more Clipper point, sorry. The Clipper bench is not good so far this year. And that was something everyone talked about. Hey, we've got Brandon. Brandon, how are you? Uh, great to be here. Yeah, no problem. Hey, thanks for, uh, sorry for getting these connection issues messed up. But um, we're happy to have you on. So tell me, first of all, who you are and, uh, you know, what, what are your credentials with regards to the Lakers? Uh, the Lakers. Oh, sorry, the uh, Clippers. Excuse me. None with the Lakers. I hope you're not a Lakers guy. Uh, no, you made me feel pretty dirty there for a second. <laughs> I, I don't know if I told you, but we have a whole segment on our show called LOL Lakers, where we just laugh at what the Lakers are up to. It's been pretty fruitful over the last season and a half. Yeah, uh, I'd say that they're uh, they're easy peckings these days. Yeah. Uh, and you know, for for someone that's kind of been sit- sitting on the sidelines, uh, you know, in the city of LA, uh, I can't say that I'm I'm mad at that. No, that that can't be awful for you. All right, so no, it's not at all. Let's let's talk about the Clippers then, since uh, you you know much more about them. The Clippers have beaten the Jazz 13 times in a row. We were just reading that statistic. That's the second longest streak between any two teams in the league. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, the the short answer of that would be to say Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. But what I really mean by that is that the Clippers have fielded some really good teams the past few seasons while the Jazz have been rebuilding. And those teams, actually, they've performed extremely well against Western Conference rivals in terms of win-loss record. Uh you know, a lot of that also has to do with just being really fortunate in some of those games. 
uh, you know, some of those games were close. And and I, I do remember even going back to some of those games where I thought that the Jazz would win, and then there there might have been some rotation change from, you know, former coach Tyrone Corbin, where I would go, you know, why did he sub why did he sub out Hayward? And then the the Clippers would take the lead and they would end up winning the game. Mm-hmm. So there's been little things like that too. But if anything, it's a reversal of the past because there was some crazy streak, I believe, where it was like two decades where the Clippers hadn't won a game at all in Utah. Yeah. And so now it's kind of flowing back the other way. <laughs> yeah, there there is some measure of revenge. In fact, the the Jazz and, and Clippers games in Utah have been kind of must-see affairs recently and in terms of just being close down to the end. I remember a, a game a couple of years ago where Randy Rigby, the Utah Jazz president, he has seats usually like five rows um, beyond the, the backcourt or beyond the sideline and then uh, was also sitting with Kevin O'Connor, the Jazz's GM at the time, and they were just like yelling at the refs, you know, shouting expletives, like just being the most loud and obnoxious fans about how bad the refereeing was in in their view in this game. Like they've been emotional contests over the years. Yeah. And I think there's something about the Clippers that brings that out in people. I I don't know if it's intentional, (laughs) but they, they, they play with, they play with a lot of emotion and that emotion spills out in terms of how that affects the refs, how that affects the other team as well. And so a lot of times uh, they, they can get in, you know, they can get to become really passionate affairs. I mean, even just going back one night ago, the Clippers, when they were playing the Nuggets yesterday, I mean, uh, head coach Mike Malone of the Nuggets, I mean, he looked like he wanted to, you know, get into fisticuffs with Blake Griffin and they both got texts. Yeah, no, and, and that's the sort of thing that I think you see more often with the Clippers than you do with other teams. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, there is, and and there's a bit of emotion that they have trouble reeling in. And I know I know Doctor Rivers has tried. He's talked a lot about these uh, these things. They call he calls them emotional hijacks. But right now, it's just this te- this team wears its emotions on their sleeves at all times, and there's just there's nothing that they've really done so far to kind of cap that. Yeah. Um, so I was asked this for on Clipper blog. You guys do a three on three sort of thing, kind of a, a knockoff on the ESPN.com five on five. Three questions uh, uh, about the Jazz from three different people or the uh, Jazz Clippers matchup. And one of the questions which I thought was really interesting and I wanted to talk to you about was who would you prefer, Rudy Gobert or De- DeAndre Jordan? I said Rudy Gobert, well, but I it's possible that I'm a massive homer. So I want to get your take on it. Well, let me just preface this first by saying that I, I am a huge fan of DeAndre Jordan. And even with that said, I would still choose Rudy Gobert. Huh, okay. He's, he's, already become, he's already become one of the league's elite rim protectors. And while Andre's effectiveness, I think, is you know, more in a team capacity on the defensive end, um, he, just doesn't, he doesn't block shots. He doesn't, he's not that rim presence that Gobert is. Uh, that's not to discount the defender that DJ is. And honestly, to me, the value that I see out of DJ is a lot on the offensive end because the threat of a lot to DJ makes him such a strong cog in the Clippers offense. And he's usually not given as much credit for that. Uh, But like I said, I'm really high on Gobert and I genuinely believe if they were to redo the 2013 draft that he might be the top pick. I I do think he might even be the best player in that draft class right now. 
Uh, I don't think that's unreasonable. I mean, you you kind of look between him and Giannis Antetokounmpo are probably the two guys at the at the top of that class. Yeah, they've got to be one A and one B. Yeah. Um, no, I I think that that makes me feel a little bit better because I I try to be somewhat objective with my opinions, but you know sometimes I, I I'm glad that you say that Rudy Gobert is in that class. Uh, I, you know from the from the point of a, a Clipper analyst, I guess I would say. Yeah, he's he's incredible. I mean, I can't say enough good things about him. All right, so so far this season, you guys are seven and seven. Uh, I believe you're sixth in offensive rating and twenty second in defensive rating. Both of those are are declines from last season. What do you think needs to improve more? Is it the offense or the defense for the Clippers? Uh, I, I'm actually pretty okay with a sixth in offensive rating. I would okay. say that without a doubt, the defensive end is where the improvement needs to show. I mean, the the offense, even, I, I think there, there's part of it there where they're trying to fit in that extra piece. They, they've, you know, they traded Matt Barnes. They're trying to figure out who works for them at small forward. But more than anything, the, you know, the fixes at small forward, you know, whether it's Lance Stevenson or Paul Pierce or, you know, Wesley Johnson is, you know, who's going to be playing and starting tonight. Uh, it It's a lot on him to, you know, on whoever they've played really to figure out how they fit within the offense, uh, you know, but on defense, the, you know, they just don't have any plus defender in that position at all. Uh, I, I feel like it, it's kind of just been um, a massive, uh, you know, sieve for the team, uh, that specific spot, because I, I look at the other roles. I mean, Chris Paul's a great defender. DeAndre's, uh, you know, plus defender. J.J. Redick is underrated as a defender, and Blake's really coming into his own in that in that position as well. But they they definitely have some kinks to work out. I know that they've been trying to work on some new defensive schemes this season that don't pull the the bigs away from the paint as much. But again, that's a work in progress. So I'm I'm looking for more defense, uh, more defense, and just more improvement on the defensive end. I, I, yeah, I, okay. I think that makes sense. Uh, and as coming from a team that went from last in the league to first in the league all in one season last season, I, I'll tell you that it is possible you can you can strive for greatness. I mean, sure, you don't have a Rudy Gobert all of a sudden, but you've got, you know, DeAndre Jordan's not a terrible rim protector. Or he's a pretty good one on his own. Um, I agree that that one position can make a big difference. How damaging for you was the Warriors' loss? It seemed like the Clippers really took that to heart in ways that you know, ninety-nine percent of regular loss, regular season losses, teams don't take that poorly. Yeah, uh, I think they 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 wanted it just because they they wanted so much to prove that they could beat a team as good as the Warriors and. I mean, it is the Warriors, and they they they're fantastic, sixteen and zero, but. Part of me sees that loss, as well as the other games where they've struggled in the fourth quarter of this season. Uh, in a way, I, I see it as shell shock from that series against the Rockets during the playoffs last year. Uh, that's not to take away from the Warriors again. I mean, their small ball lineup has been a wrecking ball against every team they face this season. But it really doesn't help when the Clippers don't appear to play freely or comfortably to close out games. And they really haven't this season. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's almost stunning to me because... There, there was a period where when Chris Paul joined the team, you would call the fourth period winning time and you would just expect Chris Paul to close out games and it was just natural. And now it seems like, uh, you know, it, it's been a big question mark in terms of, you know, the, the team and, and a lot of the fans watching in terms and just scratching their heads wondering what, 
what has happened and what needs to change. Um, in the short term, though, I, I think it affected them in the sense that they looked absolutely spent uh, the following night in Portland, and they lost again. So, you know, you could say, you know, because of that, that that loss cost them two losses. Uh, but over the course of an 82-game season, I think it's just it, it's going to be something that is built as a stepping stone, and it's just going to count as another loss uh, on the record books as this team tries to you know discover itself this season again. One of the surprising points for me about the Clippers so far this season is what's gone on with the Clipper bench. Uh, you know, I expected a lot more certainly from from Lance Stevenson, who's who's gotten a lot of do not uh, did not play his coach's decisions. Uh, I probably expected a little bit more from Josh Smith and, and Paul Pierce, although he probably doesn't fit in this category. But again, probably expected more from him. The, the beyond the core group, I, I think I expected more contributions to your guys' lineup. Uh, what's going on there, and, and can it turn around um, sometime this season? I, I do believe it will. Um, so some, some points on some of the specific players you mentioned. Yeah. I, I do believe that they are struggling to figure out how to best use Lance, and they're bringing him along slowly. Uh, I mean, there there is going to be some point counterpoint to that, whether the best place for him to learn is just by playing in the games or whether or not he really needs to know the schemes and, you know, how to, how he fits by, you know, practice and kind of all of that. Um, but he's definitely been the biggest question mark uh, with, with the small forwards that are on the team. Uh, in terms of Paul Pierce, uh, over the past two seasons, uh, his worst shooting month has been November, and that might just be part of, you know, him being older. Uh, I, I, w- I wouldn't say that, you know, it's, it's father time because if you look at Tim Duncan, he seems to defy that every season. And while Paul Pierce is no Tim Duncan, I do believe that it's just a matter of needing more time to warm up the engine, so to speak. Uh, in terms of the team as a whole, uh, they have added seven new players through free agency this offseason. And a lot of nights, it does just look like they're still trying to figure each other out. Um, some teams gel faster than others, and that's not a knock on the Clippers. Uh, you know, just every team has a different learning curve between the players that join the roster and the existing team. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they've replaced half the roster with that, so it's going to make the process more difficult. Uh, I do believe, though, that Doc is on the right track in terms of experimenting with the roster and attempt to figure out what works best. Uh, but there is sort of a, a will-it-blend sort of feel to it in terms of watching the games and just kind of seeing how the different lineups on the floor have played out so far. Uh, I, I do have confidence that it, it will it'll come together and that the second unit will get the minutes that they need to gel. They, they really have looked better than the Clippers bench last season, though that's really not saying much. But again, with so many more players, I just expect this to take a lot more time than normal. And I think that makes sense. Um, and, you know, we've seen teams kind of evolve over the course of the season. Certainly veteran teams, too. It's not necessarily easy for them. Um, how do you view the Utah Jazz, kind of from an outsider's perspective? Of You know, is 6-7, and seven, I think a lot of fans locally are, are a little bit underwhelmed by that record. But, are, you know, are, is it what about you'd expect for the Jazz? And, and what do you see as their future moving forward? Uh, first off, uh, I, I can't express how disappointed I am that Dante Exum was hurt over the summer and how much I wish I could be watching him play for the no kidding right now. With you 100%. But, but, you know, moving on with that, I, I am very high on this Jazz team, and I believe that they will contend for a playoff 
spot this season. And with the way the West has gone, I mean, there's only four above 500 teams in the West right now. I mean, they, they're definitely in the conversation. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Rudy Gobert, I, I do believe he's already one of the league's elite rim protectors. And there's just so many great young pieces on the roster. You know, uh, Trey Burke and Rodney Hood, who I, I think is, a fantastic shooter. And I just remember watching a lot of this young team a couple seasons ago during summer league, uh, the, you know, the year that Rodney Hood and Dante XM were drafted and how giddy they made everyone in the stands, you know, as we all watched them play, uh, there was a sense that they were on the cusp of something great. And I do believe as the season, you know, rolls out that we will see a lot of that on the floor. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true, uh, and that's that's encouraging to see. Is they they grew so much last season. It, you know, if they have similar growth this season, you you start to see a team that gets ready at the right times. Uh, and you know, if they do make the playoffs, then maybe they can be a tough out for whoever they do face in the first round. Pro- you know, definitely won't be favored. I, I think it's fair to say. But uh, you know, will would hopefully be a formidable for, opponent for basically. I think most teams besides the Golden State Warriors and maybe uh, the San Antonio Spurs. All right, one more question yeah. about this game in particular for you. What do you view as the most matchup, uh, most important matchup out there on the floor for the game starting in seven minutes? Uh, well, some might consider the big man matchups to be you know the the marquee matchups of tonight's game. Uh, again, as I was saying before. Uh, the, the three spot has been uh, a sore spot for the Clippers. And so I'm really curious to see, you know, what happens with the matchup between Wesley Johnson and Gordon Hayward. Uh, Hayward, I mean, last year he played extremely well against the Clippers. Uh, he, he averaged something like 22 points, five rebounds, and five assists in the four games. They, the two teams played each other. Hmm. Uh, and this is Wes Johnson's second game starting for the Clippers. And while he doesn't lack any effort on the defensive end, he's, he's looked a step slow, to, you know, to be honest. Uh, how he plays against Gordon Hayward tonight defensively might not only affect tonight's game, but also his chances of locking down a spot with the starting five. So I, I feel like that's really the matchup to watch. Cool, and that's I like it. You went low key with it, but I think that's that's a smart move and and gives kind of us a, a non traditional thing to look for. Anyway, Brandon, I got to take a break, but tell me quickly uh, where we can follow your work on on Clipper Blog and elsewhere. All right, um, so. Uh, you can find me at Clipper Blog. I'm usually doing the nightly recaps for them these days. Um, so that's uh, www.clipperblog.com. You can also find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is Dingyu. It's at uh, D-I-N-G-Y-U. That's, uh, that's actually my name in Chinese. Nice. I like it. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Brandon, for joining us. I'm glad we finally got connected uh, tonight on the show, and, and I appreciate you joining us on, on t- today on the Salt City Hoop Show. Oh, I'm fa- it's just a fantastic opportunity to be on. I'm really glad to be here. Hey, th- th- thanks so much again. All right, we got to go ahead and take a break. Next segment is going to be around the NBA. We'll be talking about all the biggest stories in, in the league and some of the most fun ones, too. Uh, there are some interesting controversies this week in, the, in NBA action. We'll be talking about those next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson here with you. Um, as always, you can always call in, by the way, to the show. This is ideally a social show. Uh, you can always tweet me at Andy B. Larson, or uh, I was about to say at Ben underscore Dowsett, but Ben has ditched us tonight for his girlfriend's Thanksgiving dinner. 
we let him slide on on this so that he can keep positive relationships with those in his life. I guess that's that's fair. That's okay. But regardless, if you would like to tweet me at Andy B. Larson, or you can call at 877-353-0700. Now, though, is the, t- is the point in the show where we go around the NBA, talk about everything that's happened over the last week, maybe a little bit more since we didn't have a show last week, um, of what's happening in the NBA for the first 15 or so games. First of all, check out the standings if you haven't already. I mean, there's a surprising amount of parity in the league this year. There are so many teams within two, one or two games of, of 500 that it's, it's actually pretty remarkable. You, you look at, for example, the Western Conference uh, has been such a good conference in the past. Or, I mean, maybe the right way to look at it is that the Eastern Conference has been such a bad conference in years past. This year, actually, Eastern Conference teams are beating Western Conference teams overall. Um, I believe the current record is 38-33. to 33. That probably doesn't include tonight's game so far. Uh, but, you know, it's still indicative of, of kind of a sea change in, in how these conferences have been playing against each other. And then you look at the, the standings themselves, and kind of these elite teams haven't been playing elitely so far. Is elitely a word? I'm not positive that it is. Memphis so far is eight and seven. The Clippers, who the Jazz face tonight, are seven and seven. The Jazz themselves are six and seven. Phoenix Suns are seven, seven and seven. Uh, the Timberwolves are six and eight. The Oklahoma City Thunder are only nine and six. You look at the other conference: the Knicks are eight and seven, Detroit Pistons seven and seven, Boston Celtics seven and seven, the Bucks six and eight, Orlando Magic six and eight, Washington Wizards six and five, Hornets eight and six. All of these teams are so close to five hundred. You know, you can see how one win or two. You know, right now, and certainly we're a long ways away from this mattering yet. Uh, but we're very close to that actually making a big difference in terms of whether or not you uh, make the playoffs, potentially. Games like tonight's, where you've got two of these kind of 500-ish teams, make a big difference in where the Jazz or where teams will end up. If the Jazz did win tonight, they would be kind of slated as that sixth seed. Again, long way to go until April when the, that would actually be decided. On the top of the league, though, is the Warriors and their 16-0 record. New NBA record for starting out a season. Um... That's incredible. That, that, that Warriors Lakers game right now, last night, by the way, was a just a contrast in styles. The, the Warriors just—it's like if that game was like if the best team from 2030 played the worst team from like 1988, and how that matchup would go. Maybe like 1992 because it was they played kind of a stupid physical down low style, but still, like it's uh, I I you know. The Warriors are the future. The Lakers are the past. It's a, it's a little bit um, sad to watch, actually, in L.A. But the Warriors are an amazing team, and you should just watch every game that they have. By the way, they're coming into Utah next Monday, very possibly 18-0. I'm excited to see how the Jazz play them in that one. Remember, the Jazz actually beat the Warriors in home last, uh, last season by, I believe, 15 points or so. It, it wasn't especially close. Uh, also around the NBA... Indiana last night, they called themselves the East Coast, the Eastern Conference Splash Brothers. You know, the Warriors have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Last night, the Warriors had Paul George go off for 40 points. And then former Jazzman CJ Miles had 32 points with his outside shooting. He then said, Paul George then said later that that Eastern Conference Splash Bros comment was a, he said, just kidding, Twitter. 
just actually called out Twitter for taking too much advantage of that, and perhaps I should probably not have even mentioned it on the show, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> obviously, CJ Miles is not Clay Thompson, but it's it's good to see. I, I love myself a good CJ Miles game. Still remember that 40-point performance he had against the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, in a Jazz uniform several years ago. Also last night, Blake Griffin hit an alley-oop three, which I don't think I'd ever seen before, but he caught the inbound pass and without landing, shot the three in order to get it up uh, before the shot clock buzzer made it. It, it, was, it was kind of incredible. Um, check the video out of that if you haven't. Another video to check, by the way, is last night in that Warriors-Lakers game, this fan hit, you know, they, they do the contest during the, the timeouts, right? And this one was for a free haircut for everyone in the from the audience. I think Great Clips was doing it. Who who cares? Uh, so the fan makes a three pointer and gives everyone a free haircut and goes bonkers, you know, celebrating like he just won fifty thousand dollars or something. But the best part was as he was celebrating, he goes kind of faces the Lakers bench and gives them a throat slash. I mean, check that out. I actually included this video on my article today for KSL.com. Uh, so, you know, that's one place you can see it if you'd like, is at KSL.com. It's crazy that we have fans taunting the Lakers of all teams. Anyway, one other weird thing that happened this week was this weird fight between the NBA Referees Association and the NBA Coaches Association. Let me, let me start where this uh, at the beginning where this actually started for these teams. First of all, Atlanta coach Mike Budenholzer, upset with the call, walked out onto the floor and kind of casually bumped the referee. This was referee Ben Taylor, by the way, one of the newer refs in the league, certainly you know, not known as a uh, confrontational guy. He's, he's a good ref. You know, it doesn't stand out mostly in, in many other ways. Uh, so Budenholzer bumps him, though, and, and Taylor throws him out, which I, th- I think is fair. You know, that's probably fair. If you touch a ref, then you, you should probably be thrown out of the game. And indeed, the next day, he was fined $25,000 by the NBA. The NBA Referee Association, though, wa- was pissed. They are incredibly upset that he was not actually, Mike Budenholzer was not actually suspended for bumping the official, uh, instead just fined. In fact, here's the statement. Referees operate in an environment which, in which an influential NBA team owner has repeatedly mocked the efficacy of fines as a means to change bad behavior. Recent league precedent dictated that a coach who aggressively charged onto the floor during live action and physically interfered with a referee would be suspended. We are now operating at a lower level with less transparency, degraded safety, and diminished respect for the game. Coaches should compete by creating better teams, not by physically intimidating officials. That might be the whiniest quote I've ever heard. And I, I'm not like a pro-officials guy, let, let's be clear. So I, I may have some bias here. But this idea that Mike Buttonholzer, who is not a physically intimidating man, he's, he's you know, let's be honest, he's balding, he's, uh, I think he's like 5'10", he's, he's, not, he's not a physically imposing guy. He, he's an old white guy. It's not like he's Jerry Sloan even as an old white guy. He's, he's, he's not physically intimidating. That's it's just not who Mike Buttonholzer is. I'm sorry. So this idea that he's physically intimidating the officials is, is clear that he's not, especially given 
that he, you know, didn't even uh, understand what he was kicked out of the game for. It was pretty clearly an accident that this this brushing or bumping happened. It w- it wasn't a physical intimidation of any sort. It wasn't Jerry Sloan threatening Courtney Kirkland to fight him uh, years ago that earned him a seven game suspension. Clearly, wasn't that. This idea that the refs, by the way, are now operating at a lower level with less transparency and degraded safety. How is there degraded safety and less transparency? Now there's more transparency. Now we get these NBA official reports that we haven't ever gotten before. And degraded safety, the, the safety is the same. You guys have, are, have been running up and down the court refereeing NBA games for 50 years now. How is, how is this any different in, in terms of safety than it's, than it's ever been? It was a ridiculous statement. So then the NBA coaches actually called out the NBA Referees Association. President of the Coaches Association, Rick Carlisle, one of the best coaches in the league, by the way, said, fired back on the NBRA for calling out that, for calling for the suspension of Mike Budenholzer, calling it an attempt for Twitter fame, which, <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I don't know how the referees got that one. Um, how, that the idea that they were going for Twitter fame here, but it's, it's, I, I mean, I'm with Carlisle here that this idea that they are being attacked is silly. It just is. Uh, and it'll be interesting, by the way, to see if the referees take revenge on Rick Carlisle's teams, the Dallas Mavericks. I certainly hope not, but, you know, questionable, more questionable things have happened in NBA ref history. Let's put it that way. Philly, by the way, did lose their game tonight. They are 0-16 for the season. That's now just two games away from the worst start ever. By the way, game 19, which would set the record, is uh, against the Los Angeles Lakers. That would be pretty fun. They have the chance to tie it before that game, but then setting the Laker, the record would be after that. Also this week, the New York C- Civilian Complaint Review Board found that there was no justification for the police to arrest Tabo Cephalosha outside of a nightclub last spring. Remember, that confrontation ended up breaking Cephalosha's leg, prevented him from playing in the playoffs. That was, uh, in my opinion, a big reason that uh, Atlanta stalled at the end of last year's playoffs as badly as they did. They did struggle, and, and it would have been very nice for them to have Tabo Cephalosha. Josh Smith and, and the Clippers, we referenced this a little bit with Brandon earlier on in the show, but there was a screaming match with an unnamed Los Angeles Clipper assistant coach uh, that was actually audible through the concrete walls that separate the, the Clipper locker room and the press conference room where all the, the reporters were, were waiting for Doc Rivers to, to meet with the media. That First of all, they were screaming loud enough that it could go through the concrete wall is troubling. And second of all, that Josh Smith is causing problems in a new team, especially one that should be winning games is you know maybe indicative that Josh Smith is not as changed not changed as much as people would hope. LeBron James tried to sub himself out while the play was still happening last week. That was a lot of fun. He just just got frustrated and just sat down on the bench, got his team a technical. That was great. Um Kevin McHale was fired. That was Probably the biggest news that actually happened last Thursday. Um, the Rockets are in a little bit of disarray, and, and the hope was that the, the coach switch would make an immediate impact on how the Rockets played. They did indeed win their their next game after firing Kevin McHale. New interim coach J.B. Bickerstaff is in charge, uh, and, and they did come back to win that first initial game. But since then, they have lost their last two uh, and, and so far are, are struggling in this NBA regular season. They are only five and nine. They're they're not playing good defense. James Harden last year got to a place of uh, approachably good 
average-ish defense and has since regressed and is playing pretty poorly. That's going to be interesting to see if the Rockets can then come back and make a playoff spot. If they do, that means one of the teams that is currently in there uh, is has to drop out. You'd have to say that the most likely candidates there are either the Dallas Mavericks, the Phoenix Suns, or, of course, the Utah Jazz. By the way, Jazz Clippers has now tipped scores 4-2. to two. Um, I'll be writing about that game for KSL.com later tonight. The, the, the triple team, my article every after every game on KSL.com will be coming out after that game. You know, I don't know when it ends. It'll end like 11, so we'll probably have it up by like 1230 or so, I guess. Just doing some math there. One other situation I wanted to point out before we go to break is the Brooklyn Nets lottery situation. You know, we've talked a lot about the Lakers on the show and how bad they are and, and kind of how screwed they are. Um... The Nets probably are more screwed. <laughs> I mean, they've they've taken the unusual step. They wanted to win right away when moving to Brooklyn by trading for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett from the Boston Celtics, and it didn't work out at all. Uh, so the, in order to get those two players, they traded three picks away, or really two and a half. This year, they give their pick to the Celtics unprotected. So right now, that would be the third pick in the draft, <laughs> just to the Celtics for free. Next year, they swap with the Celtics, and presumably, again, the Celtics would want to pick, uh, want to make that swap, get the better pick. Can't imagine that they're a very good team next year either. And then again in 2018, they give their Celtics, the Celtics their pick unprotected. Ugly, ugly situation in Brooklyn. And, and unlike the Lakers, where you have some young players that it's easier to see a path forward with Brooklyn, uh, they're at least a few years away, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I can't even imagine playing for that team and try to being, trying to be motivated by the fact that the only thing that your wins do is, is that they don't really have a chance for the playoffs, let's be honest. They just make it feel a little bit better so that the Celtics have a little bit less good of a draft pick come next June. It's an ugly situation in Brooklyn. Anyway, that's around the NBA for this week. Next segment on the Salt City Hoop Show, we're going to be talking about Gordon Hayward and this idea of manliness in the NBA. There are some interesting uh quotes from him and his wife i guess not quotes but something interesting posted on instagram and of course it's always an opportunity to play gordon hayward's rap too big yo that's next on the salt city hoop show espn 700 yo this is g time right here allow me to introduce b rizzo on the mic along with gino let's do this real quick one time Yo, I drive to the cup, just call me Ronnie. Step back, three balls wet like the sun. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Rebound time, I go hard when I crash. I can be a point dish, dime like Steve Nash. Call me Rip, cause I got the mid-range. Game on the line, call me King James. Yeah. All right, that's Gordon Hayward. I, I always hesitate to put Gordon Hayward's raps next to the name of my, you know, my proud showing the, the Salt City Hoop show. Uh, you know, my my pride and joy. Um, but <laughs> nevertheless, Too Big Yo is an important part of the, the uh, epic that is Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward is has gotten a lot of... Um, Gotten a lot of stink from Jazz fans recently, and and it's it's a shame. He's actually not playing that poorly. I think really the only difference between this season and last season so far is the shooting percentages, and really that's not all that far off. Um, he's played pretty well the last three games. He's averaged nineteen point three points per game. Uh, he's again, and he's helping in other ways where you know you have players who have shooting s- struggles that don't help you. Gordon Hayward is not one of those players. 
he helps you on defense. He helps you by facilitating, still getting rebounds. So far tonight, by the way, with the Jazz up 17-12, he's played really well. He's got six points. Excuse me, seven points, I believe, uh, including making two threes. He just uh, went one in, one for two from the free throw line. Uh, but what I want to talk about is I read this comment online, and I, I should probably not get so angry about Internet commenters. But um, So his wife, Robin Hayward, you know, newly married. They just had a son this summer, or sorry, a daughter this summer. Uh, it's It's like this wonderful family thing. And so, and and Gordon Hayward is like the cutest individual alive. And I know that's not the sort of thing that sports talk radio hosts say often. But he left these cards for Robin at his house. You know, he's like, I'm going to be on the road a lot this this uh, month. But I just want you to know that I still care about you. So he left you these cards that say, I love you because X. Like, just a couple of examples. I love you because you are the best mom. I love you because you have a beautiful smile and it makes me happy. I love you because you take care of me when I'm sick. I love you because we can be silly together and you make me laugh. In other words, they're just like every other, like, normal couple out there, except one of them happens to be a basketball player who makes, you know, has made, is going to make $63 million on his, in his contract, which is fine. Like, his ability to make money doesn't mean, like, that he should be in the gym or anything else. But I read this comment and it was like, you know, maybe Gordon should spend less time on these notes and more time on the on the in the gym on the court. This kind of soft attitude is why the Jazz aren't doing so well because he he's not the alpha male that Michael Jordan and, and Kobe Bryant is. Ah, that drives me crazy. First of all, this idea that basketball players need to be horrendous people in order to be good basketball players just isn't true okay it's not you know for as yes Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan are jerks but by all you know agreeances LeBron James is a very nice person for example you look like Magic Johnson who's a very nice person uh I mean there are many examples of very nice humans Tim Duncan is beloved by everybody who he's ever played with and is probably a top 10 player of all time at this point you don't have to be an awful person to be a good basketball player. You can be a very nice person and still be a good basketball player. And in fact, there are awful people who are much worse than Gordon Hayward who are worse basketball players. You know, it's it's like there's no correlation there between good basketball player and good human being. And there's no correlation there between like killer in the clutch and nice human being it's just it it's it's nonsense right this idea that like if you're a nice person then you'll want to score less in the end doesn't make any sense the other thing that always gets me about this argument is this idea that like people's relationships with their significant others somehow affects how they play on the court um you know it's totally unfair to blame like these athletes, the women in their lives, for however they're playing. And again, Gordon Hayward has not played that poorly this season. He's he's definitely an above average wing. Uh, people are attacking him for not being the star or whatever else, not being a max player. He's so close to being that that it's it's absurd to really attack him for it. But anyway, um, so. There's also been this criticism in sports. Uh, Gordon Hayward's not the only one. So as James Harden has struggled, for example, that it's Khloe Kardashian's fault. When Aaron Rodgers has struggled in, as they lost, I believe it was three games in a row uh, for the Green Bay Packers, there were people saying that it was Olivia Munn's fault. 
as the Seahawks struggled earlier this season, there's people blaming it on Ciara and their relationship and whatever they else they choose to do. This idea that it's the relationship or the woman's fault in the relationship is is drastically damaging to women in general and is unfair to both that woman, whoever it is, whether they be a celebrity or not, and drastically unfair to the athlete who is their own person and uh, not defined solely by their job and their responsibilities. It's it's just sorry. That was just a weird rant that drove me a little bit insane. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> now I'm done with that rant. Uh, I finally get a chance to take a breath. Anyway, uh, that's another version of the Salt City Hoop Show. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Uh, well, you can listen to any of this show, by the way, on saltcityhoops.com, ESPN700sports.com, or of course the whole show is on iTunes and Stitcher every week. Again, thank you guys for, so much for listening. Check us out, saltcityhoops.com.